Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, have some compassion. Just because that happens to be your defense mechanism, first of all, doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It's quite human. And it doesn't mean that there's not space for that sometimes. Sometimes we do need that. And then the next piece that I would suggest is to take a little bit of an inventory in your life around what situations and with whom do I chronically complain about the things that they're doing? How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Amy Green Smith. Now, Amy, you find, is as unapologetic as it gets. She is one that is so sure of who she is and so sure of who she wants in her circle. But it didn't always used to be this way. She had a unique path towards finding herself and establishing her own boundaries, building that self-confidence. Many of you listening are trying to figure out just how to establish your own boundaries, just how to find your own voice and how to stop people pleasing well you're in luck because that's what today's episode is all about so get ready for an episode that is bound to lift you up and make sure you check out the show notes for ways to communicate with her and contact her she's incredibly talented and i'm sure you're going to be incredibly blessed enjoy welcome everyone to another episode of as told by nomads and today's guest is amy e smith she's a life coach hypnotherapist speaker Acclaimed whiskey drinker and all around <laughs> badass, <laughs> all around badass who specializes in teaching chronic people pleasers and perfectionists how to speak up for themselves without being assholes. Yes. So, <laughs> welcome to the show. Welcome to yeah. the show. So we're salt, we're salty already. We're yeah, salty by, already. By, by the way, I, I was uh, for the listeners. I was telling her that uh, you know I went through her bio and I saw that she enjoys the art of cussing and it's okay for her to do on this podcast. So if you're just listening, just letting you know, you know, in case you have kids in the car, this is going to be filled with cuss words all over the place. <laughs> so be warned. But welcome to the show. It's, it's so exciting. I, I, I love the topic. Uh, your episode is going to air in January, so it's going to be right at the end of the, the first month of the year. And you know, one of the things that people always do, oh, not everyone, but most people would do this thing where I want to be a new me, new year. And one of those things they want to let go of is the idea of being people pleasers or being right. perfectionists and, and letting go. So tell us, how did you even stumble on this idea of helping you know, people become less uh, prof- you know, less more of a perfectionist and more, you know, uh, people that acclaim and affirm their self-worth? Well, I think 
my situation is not necessarily unique in the fact that the work that I do in the world is so very much informed by my lived experience. And for, for a bit of context, I grew up in a, an extremely conservative Christian, evangelical, born again, Christian family. And my, uh, my father had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry. So (laughs) not fucking around clearly. And I, I wrestled with that a lot because a lot of the dogma was very much a motivation from a place of guilt and fear and shame. And I think things for me really kind of came to a head in 07 when my father passed away. And up until that time, you know, I was by, by all accounts, I was the good kid, right? I had been working since I was 14. I put myself through college. I got married young, moved out of the house, very self-sufficient. My two younger brothers, uh, in opposition to that had both done jail time, trouble with the law, didn't go to school, you know, sort of the proverbial, um, you know, not the good kids. Right. Right. And so, so keep, keep that in mind. And so it's the day of my father's viewing. It's the day of his service. And at the time I was also working in makeup artistry. So I felt very convicted that I was going to do the makeup for his viewing. Um, so like dead dad makeup basically. So kind of, kind of an emotional day. And, and I (laughs) I can imagine a little, yeah, a little bit. And I also felt very convicted to speak to the crowd of, you know, hundreds of people who had been there. So needless to say, I felt like I was kind of winning at daughter and we get back home to my mom's house and she finds it the most opportune time to say, it feels as though your father and I failed as parents because the three of you lumping me in with my two siblings are not quote walking with the Lord, right? Like we weren't, all three of us didn't really kind of broke away from the the dogma that we were raised in. And the only thing I could really muster in that moment, Tayo, was to say, you probably shouldn't say that to a child. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe there's a teaching moment. And, And she says, well, that's just how I feel. And so I realized a very poignant lesson in that moment that, that I don't think that pleasing others or speaking up for yourself is always an ultimatum. But I do think there are those select few times in our lives where it does come down to, I either choose to make you happy or I choose to make me happy. And in those instances, I'm going to choose me. And that really began that trajectory of I can be in a position where I have completely opposing views with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And instead of acquiescing and making uh, twisting and contorting myself to make sure that they like me or that they accept me, even my family, that that I was actually going to choose my own personal power. But let me tell you what, that got fucking messy after that because it was like a floodgates had opened and I became incredibly combative, uh, incredibly adversarial. All the issues that we felt differently about, I wanted to fight about. And it wasn't until many, many messes that I had to clean up and apologize for my delivery, not my perspective, not my stance, not my opinion, but apologize for my delivery that I realized I sort of had this epiphany of, oh, 
you can actually advocate for yourself. You can speak up for yourself. You can broach really challenging topics like asking for a divorce or asking adult child, a child to move out of the house. You can do that with the utmost grace and kindness. And that really became sort of a, a cornerstone of the work that I do now. Wow. Wow. That's quite the story. And I, I, I relate a lot to what you're saying. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Liberty University. Oh, yes. So that's where I got my undergrad. <laughs> and, um, I, and for those listening, Liberty University, is wow. Christian, Liberty University is the largest Christian university. And that was my introduction into America. And you imagine this, uh, I'm from Nigeria. So a black kid comes into a town called Lynchburg. And I, that was my first like, whoa, chill. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then they, had to, they had to explain to me that it's not that type of lynching. It's more of a, the, the, the founder. But, you know, I grew up Christian. I'm still, I still, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but the way I do it is completely different, right? I am mm-hmm. more, it's more of a relationship with, with Jesus as opposed to the traditional church. And a lot of people might say, that's not how I expect you to be a Christian. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm a very, you know, I'm in diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm, you know, yep. even though I'm straight, I'm pro LGBTQ. I have all these things that I was told not to, to actually, uh, you know, support. And for me, it's been a source of combat, <laughs> combat, <Yeah. laughs> combat with, with friends that I grew up with because I went sure. to Christian high school and everything. And so I find, you know, a lot of uh, solace in your story because I had to decide who was going to be my life at a certain point in my, in my decision when I decided to make this a career, because it, it really went against a lot of what we were taught growing up. So That's listen right. to you. Uh, it, it's, it's like, Oh, wow. Yeah. I can relate to that. So, well, it's, it's interesting. I, I so appreciate that. And it, it wasn't until because of how I was raised and it was so incredibly rigid and, and I know Liberty is similar and I know sounds like your upbringing was similar as well, that it blew my mind when I started meeting people who identified as Christian, who still were pro queer community or, you know, were liberal leaning. I went, Oh, you're allowed. You're, you know, cause mine was so, so incredibly stringent. And it's, I mean, it's led me down the path where now I identify as an agnostic atheist, but see, there you go. So you went on the other side. You, you, I did. Okay. This is so powerful by the way, because we have two people on the spectrum where I, I I decided to go against what the church typically defines as Christianity and, and have a personal relationship with Jesus and more of a spiritual one. You went to agnostic and I want to understand that journey because there are many yeah. people as well. So yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to acknowledge that. Well, I think the parallel here with both of us is that, that there was a, a very real outside force that was saying, here's how, what you must believe. Here's how you must Uh, show up in the world. And then there's an internal knowing, right? There's that intuition. And I personally believe that, that that is our God, that that is our divinity, that we've been given this compass and that is to steer us, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so when we get that feeling of like, Ooh, that doesn't feel right. Or, Ooh, I don't, I don't know if, if, if I really want to go down that path, I really feel like that's our divinity. That's our God speaking to us. And, you know, as I, as I've grown and, and listened to alternative views on Christianity, in fact, I just had a brilliant woman on on my podcast. Uh, her name is Laren Alta. And she was talking about her viewpoints of, of God and what that means to her. So to me now, I feel like there's such a richer conversation around what that might look like. And it doesn't always have to 
be about a very rigid set of right and wrong that we all subscribe to, that there's a lot more nuance and there's a lot more space for each of us to cultivate our own spirituality. Beautiful. Well, okay. So you have come to this point. It's your dad's funeral. Yep. Your mom tells you this, you know, this that you don't feel should be said to any kid. You reach a breaking point. You come to that, you know, moment where you realize, huh, I need to advocate for myself more. Yes. And I, I was looking at your website. You had, you know, you had checked the boxes of life. You had the house, mm-hmm. you know, everything, the, the, the quote unquote things that are supposed to meet and uh, your happiness meter. What was the next step for you to unlearn uh, and create an environment that cultivates who you truly are? What was that next step for you? Well, I was fortunate that at the time, at the time of my dad's passing, I was already starting to get really involved in personal development. And mm. in 05, I had gone to started to learn about the coaching modality and understand that a little bit more. And that really kind of propelled my internal excavation where I started unpacking really this, the inner critic and what was being said to me about who I needed to be, how I needed to behave because, you know, my situation in my career, you know, I climbed the corporate ladder. I worked for a prestige makeup brand. I was uh, a corporate trainer had an assistant and a company car and all the fun stuff at a very early age. And I was kind of dying a slow death. And I remember realizing that I was working my ass off for somebody else's dream, for somebody else's passion. And I didn't even know really what mine was. And so through a large series of workshops and retreats and excavation, I kind of realized that, okay, this is my path. This is one of the things that does make me different. I I don't want to jump on this because I know it's your closing line <laughs> about my personal yeah. difference, but I do think yeah. that there's a way in which I can start to see things and formulate them in a way that I can deliver them to other people in a more succinct fashion and in a very learnable fashion. So uh, that really started to compel me to get to dive into the, the coaching sort of expert space. And so I did tons of credentialing around that. And, and originally I was working focused more on making marriage work, making relationships work. And I realized that there was this overwhelming theme with the people that I was working with are two factors. One was the ability to have really thoughtful, meaningful, tough conversations with others, speaking about your needs, talking about things that offended you, uh, really digging into emotional intelligence. So it was this element of communicating to the world in a way that was powerful. And the other piece was believing that your voice matters to fucking begin with. That was the other piece. And that's, that's the self-worth element, right? It is believing that I am worthy, that I am valid, that I am enough and that my voice actually delivers or deserves some airtime. So when I realized that, that's when I kind of shifted my entire approach and went, okay, I've got to really target that internal belief around enoughness that then leads to that ability to have tough conversations, boundaries, say no, speak up for yourself, et cetera. Okay. Okay. See, this is such a good setup for, for this next uh, question, because what I want to ask then is you went through that journey. Yeah. A lot of people listening here are telling you, 
I, they're probably saying to themselves, I'm really invested in the opinions of others. I, I have all yeah. these people doing all these things. W- what is the best way to combat that internal dialogue when it comes up and set those boundaries, essentially, I guess? That's a great, great question. And, and it, it, I think it would be negligent for me to sum it up as though it can be wrapped up nice and tidy. It really is something that that deserves practice. Mm that we're not taught early on, especially if you're a part of a marginalized identity where in some cases, and again, I can't speak to this from personal experience, um, except for being a woman, that there are times when you speak is speaking up for yourself is actually quite threatening and you're not safe. Right. So I think you, I would be remiss if I didn't look at the fact that there are some times when when we do need to choose people pleasing in order to maintain safety. For example, I identify as being part of the queer community. Um, Mm -hmm. And if I were a part of a situation where I was around a bunch of people who were clearly not on board with that, me being, you know, demonstrative and speaking up for myself could mean personal threat. Like that might not be the time (laughs) to to really speak up for yourself. So I, I do think that it's worth noting that nuance. Uh, but here's the thing that I think people really need to understand is that people pleasing is actually a part of our natural fear response. So if we have fight, flight, freeze and fawn, fawn is sort of a, a newer one on the scene, so to speak. But fawn is uh, whenever you feel an impending threat or challenge or I might not be safe. Fawn is when you placate or let's say you were being attacked by a bear. If you were going into a fawn response, you'd be like, here, sweet little teddy bear, don't eat me. You know, you're trying to appease the threat. All of those fear responses have modern iterations. The modern iteration of the fawn fear response is people pleasing. So at our core, We feel like there is some threat if my mom doesn't approve of me, if my spouse doesn't like my body, if my coworker thinks that this is a poor business decision. Subconsciously, on our lizard brain level, we are going, I might not survive this threat if this person doesn't approve of me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we can even look at things like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. One of our primary human needs is the sense of belonging. And that originated in our, you know, ancestral time when if you were not a part of a group in some way, that did mean that you would die. You Mm -hmm. had to have belonging to survive. So I say all of that to recognize that the reason why it's difficult for you to speak up for yourself in that business meeting or tell your, you know, your dad, what's up or your sister is not because just for the fuck of it, it's that we're actually wired to search out belonging and support, but we don't realize that we oftentimes get to a place later on in life where that defense mechanism and that behavioral tactic isn't serving us any longer. Now we realize it's not just keeping us safe, but what it's doing is it's impeding me from being able to, you know, get back into the dating scene and really be authentic about that or start a new business and believe that we're, you know, what we have to put out in the world is worthy. So that's the first piece is recognizing that Okay, have some compassion just because that happens to be your defense mechanism. First of all, doesn't mean that 
there's anything wrong with you. It's quite human. And it doesn't mean that there's not space for that. Sometimes, sometimes we do need that. Uh, And then the next piece that I would suggest is to take a little bit of an inventory in your life around what situations and with whom do I chronically complain about the things that they're doing? Because let me tell you what, and I'm curious if this is your situation at all. If this is, you don't strike, strike me as somebody who would do this, but I do know that you identify with wanting to fix things, wanting to be, (laughs) right. Uh, So a lot of times we will speak up, but we'll speak up with the wrong person. So if I'm pissed at my husband, then my best friend gets a total earful. Or if I'm upset with my mom, then, you know, my coach gets an earful. So I'm speaking up, but I'm not speaking up to the right person. And and I'm not talking about venting or just, I got to just get this out of my system. I'm talking about when we're chronically complaining about something else that we're not willing to give voice to, Mm. if it's worth complaining about, it's probably worth giving, taking some action on. So those are a couple places to look. Where do you, do you chronically complain about your boss or a coworker or business partner and then do jack shit about it? Then that could be an opportunity for, for a boundary for speaking up. Just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode. I wanted to let you all know that I do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills, becoming more anti-racist. And it's a resource of things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses, it's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out, use it with your friends, use it with your family, use it with yourself, okay? The link is in the show notes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. It's called UID Collective, and it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Back to the episode. I love this so much. And I think a lot of what happens is a lot of people's insecurities are triggered. Uh, if, if I'm looking at back at myself, when, it, when I started to unlearn people pleasing ways, I, I know growing up and moving around in different parts of the world and, and really, you know, growing up in environments where I knew I disagreed with a lot of things because I've always had a social justice bent to myself and I initially grew up in dictatorship. So I felt restricted because my opinions were often told that I was wrong, but then I was also black and four continents and I would have all these microaggressions happening. And I didn't necessarily have language initially as a kid. And as I started to get older, 
and find myself in, you know, environments like Liberty University, because I was there when Obama got elected and everybody changed towards me. Like I participated in like some bad thing <laughs> and I wasn't, I'm not even wow. a citizen. I'm not even a citizen, but it was like such an eye opening event where I was like, mm-hmm. yo, you hate me now or something. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so if I started to really figure out what was the root of it. And I, I remember it was like the insecurity was like not being enough. It's like this idea of I was never feeling enough because in all these environments I was in, there were all these quote unquote rules to be accepted and cool yeah. and all that, you know, whatever beauty standards, all these things. And once I owned what that was and understood that that definition of beauty is not true and is subjective and is also not what I subscribe to. And that definition yeah. of, I guess, Christian enough or man enough or whatever enough is not my belief. Uh, I started to find freedom. I really right. did. Yeah. And it, right. it, the other people's opinions actually didn't matter to me. And I just continued to do that. And, um, and then I wanted to say this. I often say that the word no is an important citizen in the country of accountability. Yes. So, <laughs> so why is the, you know, everything I said leads to this question. You say no is so important for us to become familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I do want to mention one thing that you talked about really quickly, and then I'll definitely jump into saying no, that I, that I think parallels nicely with the liberatory work that you do and something that, that I've recently understood as it relates to personal development and this idea of not enoughness. So, you know, and I'm certainly don't have to tell you this, but if you look at liberatory theory and you look at how systems of oppression are able to stay in power, mm-hmm. it's by the oppressed party, no matter what that is, whether we're talking about the queer community, whether we're talking about um, BIPOC or people with disabilities, the oppressed party stays oppressed by believing that they're not enough. Facts. So. I really think that it's a fierce act of liberation and uh, anti-racism and anti-misogyny and anti-white supremacy for yeah. us to actually fucking believe that we are enough. That's one of the most radical pieces mm. that we can take, you know, and obviously I can't speak to that from anything other than you know, uh, white and female and queer, but in those situations, like me actually believing that I'm just as valuable as a man is perhaps one of the most dangerous things to oppression. <laughs> right? 100%. 100%. It's, it, it's all white supremacy. Right. And then a lot of people misunderstand white supremacy, but the idea of whiteness yep. being the standard and what's right. looking, you know, I came from a colonized country. So that and we were initially under a dictatorship for the first decade of my life. But a lot of this idea is finding, you know, we have over 250 ethnic groups. We're going to have all your ethnic groups fight amongst each other because well, there's only one way or one person that needs to be at the top. That's instituted by, you know, yes. a, you know, colonist uh, colonization type of thinking or yep. colonized type of thinking. And so it happens everywhere with along gender lines, along sexuality lines, along gender identity lines. And That's so right. we need to unlearn all those behaviors because who decided what quote unquote perfect is, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, white men, <laughs> uh, if you really want to ask, but, um, but so let's talk about how does that relate to then saying no, because saying no or speaking up, having tough conversations, boundaries, anything like that, 
the reason why I am so emphatic about people learning those skills is not to put them in these uncomfortable situations or just for the fuck of it for some personal development exercise. It is because quite literally your self-worth, your enoughness is tied directly to that act. So every time you silence yourself, every time you twist or contort to make somebody else happy, you send a subconscious message to your mind that you simply don't matter as much as that person. So by actually saying no, and we can talk about ways to do that too, or by establishing a boundary or having a tough conversation or even saying, Hey, you know, I'd actually find that offensive. And I'm going to politely excuse myself from this conversation. Those little steps compound and bolster self-worth. They bolster that enoughness. So that's why it's important. It's not just a, you try to make it, try to make introverts or people who are, you know, risk averse, uncomfortable. It's because your worthiness depends on it. So if we're talking about saying no, um, I think first off it's looking at, well, what I oftentimes will tell people is just buy yourself some time so that you can be thinking about it. Because a lot of times when we say yes, and when I'm saying, when I'm talking about saying yes, I'm talking about things that are obligatory or that you don't really want to do, or that you feel like other people are depending on you for, but it's not aligned with what you want to do. Perfect example of that are when you are overwhelmed, overloaded, you have too much on your plate and someone asks you one more thing, if you are available or if you can do something and your instinct is to say yes. Right. Hmm. And in those moments, you know that if you add one more thing, it's going to be at a severe cost to you. You're going to start being cranky with your spouse. You're going to start, you won't have time to have downtime or workout or whatever it might be. So there's a severe cost to the yes is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when it's something you genuinely want to do. So in those situations, I think it's stopping and doing anything, saying anything that you can to buy yourself some time. So something like, how soon do you need to know? How soon do you need an answer? Or, um, I need to, or I would hate to say yes, and then have to change later. So I want to make sure I can really come through for you. That sort of thing. Even if you can't think of anything except you know what? I need to run to the restroom real quick. I'll be right back. Like, I don't care what the fuck you say. Just don't say yes right away. Just buy yourself a little bit of time and then start to evaluate. If I say yes to this, what's the adverse uh, no that's happening in my own life? If I say yes to this, there's going to be something else I need to say no to. It's downtime, it's rest, it's connectivity with other people. What is it? And is that is that a worthy exchange? Hmm. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's that other person is in such a dire issue that you want to be that for that person. I think the problem happens is when we chronically say yes to others in a way that creates massive self-sacrifice. That's that's really the delineation, I think, because there's many of us who value impact, being of service, uh, being reliable. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's a way in which our values can be very much in service of us and fulfilling. And then there's a way in which uh, we go, I'm nothing unless I provide things for other people. And that's that's a sticky place to get to. Wow. Wow. That's uh, so powerful right there. Huh. 
it's uh, I, I'm so glad that you're doing this because I think a lot of people are discovering their voices and to what we've been discussing, our voices have been masked by paradigms and standards and all these things that have nothing to do with us. Many of us, when That's you really right. sit down and, and define what, what you consider successful for yourself, you're going to find that it's so alien to whatever you might've been told growing up. And uh, yeah, learn to, to find your voice is, is, is an essential skill in, in uh, you know, freeing yourself to, you know, to be the best version of yourself. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> boundaries though. So yes. I, I want, I want to stay on this. I think boundaries are so important. Uh, yeah. You shared your story. You're queer. You grew up in a very conservative household. Your mom said that to you. You, you, you have this family. What happens if it's close to you though? Like if it's like your family and your best friends, what happens when you realize you can't be, in that environment anymore. How do you have that conversation with, yeah. with people that you love? That's a great, great question. And that will vary dramatically mm. depending on who, who you are and also who they are. So the number one, number one priority is your safety. So if whatever you have to say or share to somebody uh, with somebody else, if you think that that could cause some sort of personal threat to your safety, then my whole uh, piece of advice will completely change. Yeah. So, so keep that in mind. Cause I have had um, many students who I've worked with who are actually in relationships with abusers. And that's not where we have thoughtful conversation, collaborative conversations about, you know, our needs. That's a very different type of boundary. Um, but the way that I kind of look at it, and so this is sort of my framework, it is a decide, a deliver, and an enforce. So the three pieces of those boundary settings, you start off with the deciding on the boundary. What is the actual piece of information that I need to deliver? So if it is, I need them to know that I am non-binary or that I am gay or I am, you know, whatever, or it can be even something like I'm not going back to school or I'm moving yeah. to another. <laughs> that's a, that's a big to, one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm moving to another country. Yeah. Um, I'm a part of a different political affiliation. Right. Right. Like it could be any number of things, but I think it's about, first of all, deciding on what that actual piece of information is. Now, most of the time when we're talking about a boundary, we're talking about something we will or will not tolerate anymore going forward. So in that situation, let's say, you know, let's take it. Um, let's say I, I, I'm going to move to another country and I know that my family is not going to be supportive of it. They're going to think it's too risk risky mm -hmm. and they want me to just stay, blah, blah, blah. Uh, our family doesn't do that. We work in the family business, what have you. So my dis the deciding on the boundary would be, first of all, I'm not going to participate in the family business and I'm going to be moving away. And then very clearly what you are requesting from that person. What do you need from them? Or what is your ask? So the ask might be something like, my request is that if you are upset about it, that you share that with one another, but not with me. 
right? Um, it could be my request is that you do not say these particular words or ask me these specific questions, but you have to get really clear on what is it that I'm going to ask. And that's all part of the deciding delivery, delivery. I could talk about forever, but basically (laughs) this is about how you engage in the actual conversation. Most of the time we go into these conversations where we're anticipating the other person being pissed off. So we go in kind of like ready to fight. We go in kind of guns blazing. And so when we do that, we come across with this, like, well, here's what I'm going to do. And you either get on board or, you know, and we get real defensive with our armor. But (laughs) if we start off with something a little bit softer, like, Hey, I really appreciate you taking a moment to chat with me. There's been some things that have been on my mind that I, I really want to share with you. And I truly hope you can hear me. Right. Like let's give it up for Brene Brown and vulnerability. Like Brene if, you, Brown. if you, if you enter into a conversation with any type of emotion, you are far more likely to elicit that exact same emotion. So if you enter into the conversation defensive, you're more likely to get defense back. If you softly start with vulnerability, you're more likely to get that back. So the delivery, there's lots of nuance in there. You share exactly what your boundary is. You make your very specific request. You keep your cool. You this is where you, it, you have to kind of fight a lot of your natural instincts to fight or flee or <laughs> freeze even, um, or fun. And that's, you keep your composure, you deliver it. Now, the third piece of enforcing the boundary, this one I think is probably the most difficult because most people know you as the people pleasing version of you. They yes. like the, the, the Tayo who will just acquiesce or sure, I'll do it. The yes, man. So they will test the fuck out of that. They might go, oh, Amy just went to this conference. Now she's feeling all empowered. Now she's trying to set boundaries and they will test it and test it and test it. And sometimes it's not even deliberately malicious. Sometimes it's just based off of history and routine. So that's the key is when they broach the boundary or breach the boundary, excuse me. That's when you say, hey, you know, that conversation we had last week, I may have not emphasized how truly important that is to me. But I want to ask again, as I'm making this transition and moving across the country, please refrain from saying anything about blah, blah, blah. Please don't don't ask me about this, blah, blah, blah. Um, I truly hope you can respect that. Done. So, and again, that's obviously a very short framework. This is something that I work with people on for, you know, for weeks at a time. Um, And it's unique to each situation, but that's sort of a, a small little framework you can run through. Listen, Amy, I, I'm uh, I'm a professor. So frameworks are everything to me and a writer. So I love, I love that. I think it's easy to, to, to use, uh, but it's not always simple, right? Uh, That's right. Um, simple to use, but not always easy rather. So I always mix up simple to use, but not always easy. And right. I think, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's so important for you, for people to be able to, you know, communicate and just constantly realize this is, the thing that I've identified as what mm-hmm. I need to do. This is the thing that I've identified that maybe you don't agree with, but I know that this is my trigger. I'm yeah. going to communicate this to you. And if you can't subscribe to it or, you know, uh, you know, I guess follow it, then, you know, uh, we're just going to have to have that <laughs> difficult moment where 
until you are able to comply, I'll be in your life. And, and it's, you know, you learn how to love from afar. Honestly, That's right. that is, is one of the things I've done. You learn how to love from afar and then you start working through those emotions of guilt and shame. And you realize, you know, you don't necessarily need someone in your life who is going to constantly want you to be the worst version of yourself or be a stranger to yourself. So completely, completely. Yeah. And I, I think th- that's one of the ways we embark on conversations a lot is we think this will go well as long as they see it my way, or mm-hmm. this will go my, this will go well as long as I get what I want or they understand me. That's a, that's a gift. We don't always get that gift. Yes. Right? <laughs> so I, in fact, so the, the new definition of success now is this will be successful as long as I'm proud of the person that I was when I delivered this. Oh. That's my new definition of success, uh, not how it was received. Gosh. All right. Well, I, <laughs> how can people reach out to you? Cause you are you're dropping so many gems here, but I want to make oh. sure people have a chance to connect with you and, and work with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So my uh, corner of the internet is thejoyjunkie.com and junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. You can find me pretty much everywhere on social media under that same handle, the joy junkie. And over on my site, you can find tons of freebies. I've got some free hypnosis and workbooks and workshops. And I've been doing a podcast for almost nine years now. So lots of free stuff to, to see if you dig, uh, dig my vibe and I would be incredibly honored to have you come over. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we'll make sure we put that in the show notes because you're awesome and we need thank the world to, to definitely get you into their ecosystem. So thank you so much for coming on the show. That. Thanks Tayo. I have one last question, which you already know. Yes. <laughs> so Amy, how do you use your difference to make a difference? One of the things that I think is very different about the work that I do and we've talked about this, we danced around it a little bit, is um, I see a lot of really great concepts and ideas floated around social media where it's like, just believe in yourself, just believe that you're enough. And it's like, okay, great. I'll get right on that. How, you know, how, how do I reconcile childhood issues and traumas and um, aggressions and all sorts of things. And so one of the things that became really important to me was to be able to create frameworks and step-by-steps and processes of how to actually do that work instead of saying things like start exercising self-compassion. Well, what the fuck does that mean? Like, (laughs) what does that actually look like? Give me a (laughs) step-by-step. Right. I mean, so, so to me, that's incredibly important. And that's one of the things that I think makes my work different is, um, is to have very, very linear kind of pragmatic, well, uh, almost it. academic. Yeah. To it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, thank you. Well, there you have it. I mean, you know, Amy Smith leaving us with the idea of making sure we don't just, I guess, accept things because they're on social media and they're trendy without actually investigating and critically thinking, well, is this actually applicable? Why yeah. am I amplifying this? What's going on here? You didn't say anything. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she doesn't do that. And so that's another reason for you to, you know, make sure you listen to her podcast, you know, check our, you know, check out her work or coaching programs, you know, her blog and everything. So thank you for coming on the show, Amy. Oh, thank you, Tyler. I've had a blast. Likewise. And Kings, Queens, and royalty till next time. Use a difference to make a difference.
You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 